0: Welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. We all know that Suffolk is a wonderful place to live in or to visit, but it's also full of incredible companies, really wonderful charities, and very interesting people. In this series what we're doing is working through a number of these people because ultimately with money in Suffolk and elsewhere of course all that you can do is spend it, you can save it or you can give it away. So today we're going to speak with one organization that is one of the jewels in the crown of Suffolk, the Suffolk Community Foundation. It's been working for some time in Suffolk and we're going to find out how it works, the way it works, what difference it makes and how you can be involved if it's something that is of interest to you. So I'm really pleased that we're able to be joined by Tim Holder who's Head of Public Affairs at Suffolk Community Foundation and uh, Tim it's great just to have the opportunity to chat with you about this incredible
1: organisation. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and thanks so much for inviting me. And of course, I absolutely agree with you. It is an absolute <laughs> jewel in the county, and I'm proud to be part of it and talking to you about it today. What's the background to community foundations as a
0: whole, and and, and Suffolk in particular?
1: So community foundations have been going in, in, in parts of the world, like America, for example, for, you know, for hundreds of years. Um, but in the last century, in the 1950s and 60s, I think the, the, the Community Foundations came to the UK, um, but Suffolk was a real late adopter, um, one of the last, actually. Um, we've only been in existence uh, since 2005. We're an independent charity in Suffolk, but part of a really important network that you know it brings a lot of money into the county, as well as um, finding funds from within it. So let's look at how that
0: works then. Um, So we've heard the name, the Community Foundation, and you said that it's about charity and so on, but let's just join the dots up there. How how does it work?
1: Well, essentially, we connect money with causes that, that deliver against the need that we have in the county. So we raise awareness of what that need is. And of course, that was why Community Foundations were actually... Suffolk was a late adopter for community foundations because the need was hidden and we created a a report called hidden needs to actually really drill down national statistics to show that in Suffolk although you know we are an affluent county in many respects, we hit average uh, on a lot of things and 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 to hit average there needs to be if there's wealth and it proves that there that you know there is need uh, at the other end of the scale, so you know raising awareness of that need, um, educating people and bringing people closer to that need, and then really just trying to find funds it from all sorts of places to actually support charity sector, voluntary groups, community groups, and registered charities, good neighbourhood schemes in the county to deliver amazing work at grassroots level.
0: So there's essentially sort of two columns then. On one column is community causes, charities working within the county the need funds. And the other column is those who want to give philanthropists, small givers, people of all shapes and sizes
1: who fit into that category, but want to do something locally. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just as simple as raising the money and then delivering via grants programmes. It's it's very much about connecting those two elements together with strategy as well. You know, not just putting money anywhere, but actually looking at what the needs are in the county and focusing the money towards the organisations that are actually delivering against, you know, the hardest hit geographical areas or the largest types of need that we have in Suffolk.
0: So that's an important thing that we really do need to come back to, which is you know what are the needs in Suffolk? Because I guess you know when we look at pictures of Southwold Beach and 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 the heaths of West Suffolk, we might say to ourselves, oh, there aren't many needs in Suffolk. So it's quite important that we do come back to that because that's a really important point. But how did
1: you get involved in that? Well, interestingly, I'm a Suffolk boy, born and bred, and, and so proud to be so. Um, I had a career in the media. I sort of cut my teeth at the East Anglian Daily Times, moved to London and worked in the national press at the at Times newspapers. And then I worked in, in communications. While I was working in communications, I actually had a number of clients from the voluntary sector that I was doing you know, advertising and marketing for, and that was people like uh, the Historic Palaces, NSPCC, Oxfam, uh, the Prince's Trust, number of organizations and when I was working with them creating communication and marketing and building relationships with their teams I very much felt um, that they were getting something out of their job that I wasn't getting out of mine and I was almost kidding myself that by working with them I was somehow or wanting really to be part to be part of their team and I thought one day one day when I've you know done what I need to do commercially I will step into the voluntary sector and 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 give them, God help them, everything that I have learnt and you know that kind of um, vision, if you know what I mean. Um, but then when I did that, I, I was invited to become part of a, a an international development organisation. It was actually a client, a client of mine from advertising who had a consultancy, and I rebranded her consultancy. Uh, and she said, "Oh, I wonder if you'd be interested. We have a charity called the Hunger Project. It's an international." organization working in 22 countries Uh, we need a country director for the uk and really it's a communication relationship building role Uh, you could learn about international development so I, i i took it and the most interesting thing about that particular charity which really engaged with me was that they were very much opposed to the throwing grain out of a plane model to actually feed the starving in sub-Saharan Africa and, 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 the, and the kind of places that we had all seen in the 1980s, particularly with Ethiopia and Live Aid. Um, what they actually did was they were a, a really a, 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 an entrepreneurial organisation and an, an education organisation that gave people, worked in partnership with countries, Indigenous people, working with Indigenous people, to give them the skills that they needed to end their own hunger. So it was very much grassroots uh, community mobilization for people that were literally suffering chronic, persistent hunger. Not necessarily starvation, but ongoing deprivation that weakened their potential for the future. And as soon as I realized and came close to the people that we were working with, I saw how much community potential people had and that they weren't hopeless and helpless. They were incredibly sparky, strong, determined, loving people that if you could give them a bit of help, it would make a difference. When I came back to Suffolk, I, I, I wanted to come home, and somebody uh, phoned me who I'd been working with at the East Anglian Daily Times and said, there's this fantastic organisation called Suffolk Community Foundation. I know you've come back to Suffolk, Well, I think, you know, maybe you'll be going to work in London, will you, just commuting? And I went, no, 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 the idea is I'm back and I want to do something for Suffolk. And uh, I met Stephen Singleton, our wonderful founding chief executive, and we sat in a room and had a little chat that I hadn't put my hat in the ring for the job, but he started talking about grassroots community mobilisation. And I thought, you know what? I'm home I am really home because I completely understand you know how important it is to give people that are in need the support they need to be sustainable on their own behalf pride uh contribution to their own future control of their own future fair access to services it just felt so right and 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 that was seven years ago and you haven't looked back (laughs) no, well, <laughs> I think don't know where today. the time has gone to be honest I really don't know where the time has gone <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah there's so, a definite synergy there so that story is, really
0: is all about people having the dignity to have choices and and having some control back to them rather than they're being deemed uh, to sort of not, be, to just be worthy of, of a gift. Um, a handout. A handout. You know,
1: let's, be, let's be honest, a, a charity handout mm. that is, 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 is disempowering, really. You know, uh, you always want to have something that involves the person's own development and their choices, so important. Mm. So that, that's facilitated through the foundation at the moment.
0: That's yeah. the principles that you adopt.
1: Yes, Um, I I mean, we know that by supporting the, I think it's about 5,000 local charities and community groups and Good Neighbourhood schemes. I say Good Neighbourhood schemes because they've really come to the fore in the last 12 months, particularly as Suffolk's been responding to the pandemic, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a while. But it is really about supporting that plethora of wonderful, sparky people. You know, 50% of those charities exist on less than £10,000 a year. So they're they're mostly volunteer-led. They probably don't have any paid staff. If they have a paid member of staff, it's probably only very part-time. They don't have brands. They don't have fundraising machines. But they are doing incredibly intuitive, passionate work at grassroots level that just delivers such excellent uh, uh, results for so little And actually, a a little piece of money going to an organisation like that can make a massive difference um, to what they're able to achieve. Mm, Incredible. Incredible. So let's then just go back to where we were a moment or two
0: ago, thinking about, you know, perhaps the outward perception of Suffolk is a wealthy
1: county. So easy, isn't it? So easy to travel around Suffolk, as we all do, going to the nice bits. You know, popping up the A12, going to going to Oldborough, having a look around. You know, Orford, Orford Castle, or yeah, all all. You know, it, it's a very leafy, very beautiful, wonderful place to live, but not for everybody.
0: So, where are the needs? What are the needs? And how has the foundation helped people who are
1: working with those needs? I think it's really important to explain that if you look at what the county has been through in the last year you'll know that money can't actually solve every problem that presents itself. So I think it's important to to talk about the breadth of need and just understand that it's not all to do with economic deprivation. Having said that, about one in seven of the population uh, do live in economic deprivation. It it is really scary that about 13% of the children in our county are deprived. You know, it, it, it's terrible. Um, and it's
0: quite, just, just to hold you to that, because that's an issue that perhaps people will say, well, where's
1: the evidence? But quite crucially, you do have that evidence. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, you know, a, a foundation on which our foundation has been built. Uh, just during lockdown, while we've been working on, the, on delivering the emergency crisis, we've also published uh, last November the latest edition of Hidden Needs, uh, the third report that we've done since um, uh, since the inception of the foundation, the latest data from the national national statistics that are then drilled down very much locally um, so that we really can see uh, an academic view produced by our very own University of Suffolk of exactly where the need is. Mm. Um, so nobody can be in any doubt. It's an evidence-based approach. And when, what we're
0: what we saying, within that um in the sense of what does that really mean and feel like and look like where there's an economic deprivation issue
1: well for Suffolk you know we are we are a rural county predominantly there are pockets of denser urban need I- in places like Ipswich, Lowestoft, Haverhill, Stowe Market, bits and pieces in Sudbury, Felixstowe the sort of need that perhaps you see a little bit more—it's a little bit more obvious if you if you live—but then there is also a much a much more hidden need across the rural communities. And the way that I picture it and talk to people about is, you know, when you drive through that wonderful, beautiful village with all of the fantastic, you know, Tudor buildings and trees, and it's lush and it's beautiful. If you step three or four streets back or just go to the perimeters of those villages, there are pockets of rural poverty that are quite astonishing and you just don't see them. And and I don't think it's just that people don't choose to see them, they are hidden. Um, But when you bring all of those um, numbers together, across the county um, and you put into perspective The fact that that rural poverty is actually even more extreme because it it, it's exacerbated by you know difficulties for access to services access to education it's a more expensive place to live because because of 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 public transport um you know it it it, it, it's a it's a real challenge for us and uh, little pockets of people you're trying to connect that up to to support services is is a real challenge but Mm. you know Suffolk's really good at it actually
0: yeah well we'll maybe just look at some of the solutions that you've put together or how you help people who provide solutions um so we've talked there about some of those hidden needs and the economic aspects but there are other needs too aren't there across the county that perhaps are just a little bit more obvious but they still need someone to solve them don't they or to address them
1: they they do and and I think often when you're you know talking to an audience that perhaps especially before the pandemic you were talking to an audience about need sometimes it feels really quite distant and 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 it's the people that have had some experience of of, of challenging their life that perhaps understand understand it more easily and that might be to do with health issues cancer bereavement uh, loss of employment, mental health issues, uh, you know, disabilities of some kind. Um, but now I think, I mean, hopefully when this podcast goes out, you'll, we'll be speaking to people that have all had some kind of experience of what it is to be deprived of something. And I think, you know, the big issue here has been companionship, isolation, and loneliness. Uh, perhaps children being homeschooled, the pressure of family, all the things that have been going on during closed doors during the uh, pandemic. Perhaps people now can can feel a little bit more connected to what it might be like for somebody who's been experiencing that kind of deprivation and worse forever, not just for the last year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We spoke with um, Anne Osborne at Rural Coffee Caravan a few
1: weeks. Wonderful, back. Anne, She is amazing. <laughs> One of those well, bright, sparky people that I'm talking about. Yeah, very amazing much so,
0: and, and, and it very much opened my eyes to this idea of people living in a, you know, in, in, perhaps in an affluent area in a nice village, but that sheer sense of being alone, yes, of, uh, of not having access to services and not having people to
1: talk to. That's right. And just just by coincidence, um, in November, um, I went out on the road just during during the pandemic to talk to a lot of the organisations because we wanted to let supporters of the foundation have some experience of where the leaders in the county were at that point. And I went to a, a rural village with Anne and met some of the older people from that community. Um, And, you know, it was so clear. I mean, it always is because, you know, if you if you lose mobility or confidence and you're in your own four walls, you can be very isolated, even in normal times. Mm. But those people were coming out and, uh, you know, with nervousness, there were no vaccines back then, you know, and and everybody was socially distanced and outside in the cold. But even so, (laughs) sitting together at a social distance, they were able to say hello and we're so pleased to see and, and so appreciative of the Royal Coffee Caravan I have yeah, to say.
0: Yeah yeah and I think that's maybe one of the positives of this last 12 months is an enhanced sense of community and people within roads talking with each other that perhaps people whose names you didn't even know and you may have lived there for quite a long time and now you're not only knowing who they are but understanding if they have a need if they want some support and not feeling you're pushing into their privacy and
1: infringing on their own personal lives uh, i I, th- I think despite the challenge and the terrible time that many people have had over the last 12 months i would say our society uh, and our our sense of community is stronger than i've ever known it to be in my lifetime mm. I've really seen I live in a in a in a very rural village and I saw that community really step up you know people were going out getting prescriptions you know really looking after the older people doing people's shopping just you know gar- all sorts of things to try and support people that were uh, and and you know that 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 sense of care I mean it gives so much back to the people who are actually offering it you know, it gives so much joy to to, to, to to get involved in helping people. But but it's something we've got, we've absolutely got to keep alive and keep the fan. From, you know, we've learned something now about a sense of where we belong and and our community. And we need to, we really do need to hang on to that. It's such an important lesson that I think everybody has learned firsthand, really.
0: Yeah. So practically over
1: the last year, how,
0: how has that impacted your work? Now, on the one hand, there's a fundraising aspect and then on the other side is the delivery aspect how have you been able to
1: juggle those well like everybody else and again you know a a massive congratulations to the voluntary sector in Suffolk as soon as Boris did that 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 announcement on that 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 Monday morning in March over 12 months ago now there was an instant reaction by the voluntary sector that they would have to find ways to support the communities and the people that needed them to continue supporting them you know volunteers many of them were older they had disappeared They'd, they were, they were they were in isolation themselves everybody over the age of 70 that drastically reduced the workforce and resources of charities overnight charity shops fundraisers of any kind book sales coffee mornings runs walks anything that was staple income for charities disappeared overnight and everybody had to look at how they were able, including the foundation, were able to deliver and continue. And the, the, the innovation, the adaption, the embracing of online technology, of new ways of working, and also of, of, of onboarding younger new volunteers who were you know, all of a sudden going on to furlough and working from home and stepping in to be volunteers for the first time. Um, all of that was going on Whilst at the same time, the foundation had had to separate its workforce. We've been working from home, all of us. You know, there's, I think, 16 of us, mostly part-time, working from home. But we had the technology to be able to continue working remotely. And we literally, overnight, created an emergency fund, the Coronavirus Community Fund, partnered with the East Anglian Daily Times, the media, uh, the council, health, private sector business and our donors and the general public to say there is this big hole that is immediately apparent in the county's finances for charity we've got to fill it and we've spent the last year listening to charities our grants team trying to understand where they are how much service they can deliver what sort of support they need how they're keeping their core costs going in the middle, if they can't deliver services in the same way that they did, or even indeed at all, how we can keep them in place, because as we come out of lockdown, their services are going to be more important than they've ever been. Um, And and literally, we've been at the heart of that, working in partnership with everybody to try and make the biggest contribution that we can. And, And I'm delighted to say that, you know, in addition to other grant making activity and other fundraising that's gone on, just the core emergency fund has raised over £3 million. We've supported over 560 charities just specifically from that fund. And the estimate is that we have made over 300,000 individual offers of help via the charities that we've supported during the period of lockdown and that is whilst at the same time continuing with a lot of the other funding and grant making that our teams do you know do as, as a matter of course but yeah, it's been a real hashtag team Suffolk effort <laughs> and everybody you know got it everybody contributed to the centre Everybody is talking to each other like never before, partnering with each other like never before. And of course, now we're starting to slowly, hopefully, fingers crossed, come out of the lockdown. We actually find ourselves at the bottom of a mountain that we now need to climb to rebuild people's lives to be, well, I hope, even better than they've ever been. And it's so important that that momentum continues and that we don't take our foot off the gas, really. Yeah,
0: that's a huge issue, Then not it? We'll, we'll maybe just come back onto that. I'm Just uh, mm. just looking at um, going back over this last year, then, have there been any that have fallen by the wayside in the sense of other charities you haven't been able to get in and support? Have they had other issues and so on?
1: I think, you know, our partners, Community Action Suffolk, um, did a survey right at the beginning of lockdown um, that put out a very scary feedback from the vo- from the voluntary sector, saying that perhaps 60% of them might be gone within six to 12 months if finances couldn't be found to support them. Uh, I mean, the dreadful thing in the early days of lockdown that we lost, which was such an important service for Suffolk, was, was Age UK Suffolk. Um, They had had financial problems that weren't entirely related to the pandemic for a long time. But, of course, they were the main service for elderly people in Suffolk, the main place to go, the go-to hub for older people. And, of course, with 70-plus age group isolating, their befriending scheme, their telephone befriending, it all just went overnight. So that was really quite a terrifying start and i think i certainly felt when that news came out um i, I thought oh crumbs i i don't know what's going to happen if this starts becoming a domino effect of, of of voluntary sector organizations collapsing what where on earth are we going to be but i have to say that actually through the support and not just from, from the foundation the emergency People fund but i'm sure from their their individual supporters They have found a way to keep going. I don't think we're gonna be entirely sure what the impact is gonna be. You know, there's still furloughing, there's still need that's that's hidden. There are still organizations that are are mothballed to an extent. I don't think we know entirely um, what the long-term impact is gonna be. And of course, with the economy being in the state that we don't quite know what that's gonna be, um, we don't know how long these organisations might be able to survive if the charitable pound is is vastly reduced and they have to compete much more for it so mm. you know there's, there's there's a there's a lot to consider in how how the, the the health of the voluntary sector can continue even if it's still there now.
0: So the interesting thing with the Age UK Suffolk um, story which you refer to there is we'll we'll all have heard of Age UK and we'll know that they're the central age UK continues to operate that's still up and running but is there a lesson that we can all learn there about local services and giving and people within Suffolk supporting Suffolk services and the Suffolk voluntary sector
1: yeah there there was was a a statistic and it's not the the newest statistic it was about 2015 2016 something like that from the NCVO um, organization that conducted a national survey about about giving and it showed that over 80% of charitable giving went to the top 2% of the very largest national charities. Now, we've already talked about the need in Suffolk being hidden, and when it comes to the the real hardline deprivation work that goes on with national charities, it tends to go towards the bigger conurbations of that, the inner cities and that kind of thing. So a lot of the grassroots services that we have in Suffolk are actually not delivered at all by the national charities and and certainly to only to a a very small extent um so there is an issue there that we give but we don't if and all giving is good all giving is fantastic and i i'm absolutely not saying don't give to anything i think it's an amazing thing to do but if your heart says i want to make a difference locally it is more difficult to be able to make an informed choice on that on that level and organizations like Age UK uh, the organization that's gone is Age UK Suffolk that is an independent was an independent charity part of the network of Age UK but if you give money to Age UK it goes to Age UK you don't get it or uh, if unless you give it to Age UK Suffolk it doesn't make a difference and you know, there are a lot of other organizations, the Citizens Advice Bureau, the Samaritans, lots of organizations that people have a, a, a fairly good recognition, brand recognition of, but that perhaps don't realize that if they don't give to their local organization, maybe none of what they give nationally might make it way through. And if, it, if, if, it, if, if some does, it'll be a much reduced percentage. Mm. But of course, services are being delivered in the main by organizations that are not even part of that network and in the days of, of freedom when i was able to go out and talk to groups which i love to do by the way if anybody is listening and would like me to come you're available for all available, potential presentations uh, yeah. um, but for the things that i asked people um, is to name me 10 local charities And I said that, and then not because I'm against them at all, but I said, but you can't name a hospice and you can't name the air ambulance. Now name me 10. And of all of the conversations that I've given um, uh, uh, to to people, I have never yet had somebody able to name 10 truly local charities. Mm. So that shows you how what a back foot those organizations are on when they're competing for the charitable pound. You know, they don't have a brand. They're not spending huge amounts on marketing. They don't have big fundraising teams. They are volunteers who just need a little bit to achieve a lot
0: and that ripples through into so many aspects of life I'm just thinking things like if people are updating their will and they want to give to a a charity it's crucially important that whoever is writing and preparing that will for them that they put the local charity in if that's
1: who they really want to support and help absolutely and of course you know when it when it comes to to wills and legacies those kinds of organizations are not just a disadvantage because people don't know who they are or might inadvertently forget to put the brackets, Suffolk. But also, they're small organisations that could be very severely disrupted by, by a large legacy donation. Mm. And actually, we need to spread that kind of money on a need-based tack in, in perpetuity. And of course, that's where you know, the foundation come, comes into its own, because it can enable that and keep that money relevant and targeted uh, during somebody's lifetime, but also in you know long into the future after they're gone, and that's the issue, isn't it? That you know
0: someone might be writing a will that you know maybe is many years down the line before it's actually read. Lots of things change in between times. One of the positives of using the community foundation as the the um, recipient is that ability to keep on top of the needs that are current, um, and it might be that there's a specific sort of preference nominated within that, but you know, you can channel that into that area at the time rather than perhaps something that was 10, 15 years previous.
1: Yes, I mean, you know, we all know, you know, that how need changes. Mm. I mean, in, in, in the most extreme level, you know, there are dormant trusts and foundations all over the county that are almost immobile because their purpose uh, is, you know, helping, you know, uh, fallen women or chimney, sw- <laughs> chimney sw- or, or you know i mean literally victorian challenges yes um and you know the charity commission and their, their charitable objectives are are limited and they can't respond or they may not have a structure around them to be able to respond the great thing about creating a fund with the foundation as opposed to perhaps even creating a new trust is that The Charity Commission have given foundations so much greater flexibility in in, in how they can operate those funds. So, you know, if you have, for example, a particular passion about helping young people or older people or some kind of disability or some kind of geographical area or or sport or art or, you know, anything really it's possible for you to be able to create a fund with the foundation around those needs that will then make grants on an ongoing basis to the organisations at that point that are best positioned to deliver against that general need or that general area that you want to support. So you know what 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 you can do in your lifetime with the foundation and learning about the voluntary sector experience it seeing where your money is going feeling that whole experience and connecting your giving to the to the the benefit that it's actually delivering mm. you know that in a hundred years time if you've created an endowment fund you know, as the foundation has that there'll be somebody at the foundation that will be still listening to what you said when you created that fund and the the, uh, intention that you had and making it relevant, as relevant as it possibly can for the challenges of that section of the society at that point and we none of us know what that's going to be do we
0: now no no, absolutely there's a there's a lovely jewish proverb that i regularly quote to my clients which is um it is better to give with a warm hand than a cold one and I, i love that idea we've just been talking about wills and legacies and that's a very important aspect but there is something very special about seeing uh the benefit of the gifts that you are making during your lifetime and, uh, you know, we've, we've been bouncing some emails backwards and forwards over the last few days and um, some research by the University of British Columbia that looked into that the giving is good for everybody. It, it, it makes us happier, makes us more content. But actually, that is enhanced if we can actually see the benefit uh, and see that work being carried out. And that's
1: exactly what you do. Uh, absolutely. And it, and it's so, again, it's, it's so scalable. You know, we work in a such a bespoke way with all of our, uh, all of our supporters, you know, we, 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 we have, I think, 80, 80 or so individual funds from all sorts of different corners of the county business and you know, and individuals and families and, and legacies where people are no longer with us, but very much people that are with us and working in partnership and, the experience can be as close as the person wants it to be. But I, I would say that on an ongoing basis, even when somebody comes to us and says, look, what I want is I'm going to put some money in. I'm going to tell you what, what the sorts of things that I want, you know, for this money to achieve. But I don't want to be too involved. And you'll have the conversation. And, you you know, you take that for what it is, but then you share the stories of the sorts of organizations that they might like to support with their you know, twice yearly or annual grants panels, uh, they they see the work, they see a breadth of voluntary sector organisations that they've never heard of, projects that amaze them, are you know, really, are people really tackling this issue, oh, wow, you know, it, it get, they get more and more interested and more and more engaged, and then of course the next step is, you know, would it be okay if we went to see them, you know, would it be okay for us to go and uh, and perhaps meet some of the people that we're supporting. And of course, the answer is yes. Uh, and the foundation you know, is delighted when we hear those words, as is are, are the voluntary sector, because they want people to really understand what they're doing. And they want people to really feel the difference that their money is making and, 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 and have a bit more experience of the heart behind the money both ways, the heart behind the delivery and the heart behind the money and connecting those two things is a very powerful moment. It's
0: interesting isn't it that perhaps we spent the first part of our conversation talking about need and addressing need and the um, voluntary sector dealing with that but actually in addition to that there is this massive uh, benefit to the giver, to the donor, to those who are part of that whether it's an individual or a business who set up a a fund because actually from a mental health perspective all the evidence now is pointing to the fact it does them good as well
1: my own personal day-to-day experience of of working in the voluntary sector whether it was going back into those international development days or right now is that when you connect somebody with a, a, a good thing that they're doing then I think the assumption can be in the first stages that if you help, somehow you're going to be doing something to make somebody else feel better and that they're gonna do all the learning, they're gonna get all the benefit and you might get some kind of quick fix benefit feeling by just giving the money it never seems to stay that way and i would say that when you go and meet organizations and see what your money is achieving you learn a heck of a lot you 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 your misperceptions perhaps your distantly held perceptions of what need looks like of what a family that needs support might look like you know that kind of stereotypical media thing that gets you know, put out there, people realise, you know, that these people are just like you and I, we're all the same, we just, some of us have better breaks in life, we have better opportunities before before we start out, but often the values and the strength uh, of people that are going through challenges blows people away when they see, and then when they see on top of that, the difference that their contribution is making to changing their lives for the better, it changes their life too. Mm. Yeah. It changes their life too. And they want more and yep. they want to do more. They want to get closer. They want to understand more and they want to really feel that. And you can absolutely feel the difference when you go in to a, to an organization with a donor when you walk in it's all a bit nervous a bit quiet maybe a little bit tense before you go in when you come out you're almost skipping back to the car because of all the good things that you've experienced and seen yeah they'll be challenging they'll be shock and they may be upset and all sorts of things that you're processing when you hear difficult things but the contribution that you're making that positive contribution to rebuilding a future somebody's future or improving the outcomes for a family's children the next generation is just amazing it is Mm. absolutely amazing and, and a privilege to facilitate and be a part of as well
0: so i think that's a really interesting situation that over this last year you've really been supported remarkably well by donors because you've made those needs known and many people have been aware that we haven't been able to support our best friend running the london marathon or um, someone abseiling down the tower block Uh, those haven't been an option so people have put their hands in their physical pockets but more than likely made payments from their bank accounts um, supported things remarkably well but it sounds to me as though there is still scope for individuals for businesses for families to to have conversations with you to say, the last year has stimulated our interest in this area, whether it is loneliness, whether it is mental health, whatever those issues may
1: be. Absolutely, and we would just encourage, you know, I've spent quite a a lot of time working, you know, you get a phone call from from a professional advisor like yourself or a lawyer, um, perhaps involved in a legacy where unfortunately, you know, the, the, the bereavement has already happened and you're presented with a kind of a uh, sometimes family, but often not, um, picture of what that person was, what the desires might be, what they might be hoping to achieve. And we follow that, absolutely. You know, we, we do everything we can to make absolutely sure that we get it right. But so, so much better to meet the person who is intending to do that face to face while they're still with us, get involved with the foundation in some way, start understanding what's going on. It's very private, it's very confidential, you know. It, 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 but, but it's so it's so good to, to actually have that 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 contact and that relationship. I'll give you an example. Of a, a very moving situation that's just happened very recently for us. Um, I had a very personal um, phone call from, from, from a solicitor in Ipswich saying that, um, would I go down to their offices to have a meeting uh, with somebody? Um, it was very confidential, but they thought they ought to let me know that I knew the person personally, which happens in Suffolk a lot, <laughs> as you can imagine. But it that hadn't happened to me before. And I went down uh, to to, to that office and I was presented with a person that I had known since I was three years old. I can't say any more detail about that person because it's confidential. Um, But what had happened is they had come into some money, a legacy to them that they weren't expecting. They lived a very modest life themselves. They didn't want that to change. They were in their 60s at that particular point, but they wanted to actually get involved and start building a, a fund whilst they were alive. And we went out and met organizations. We built an endowment fund initially with about hundred thousand pounds, which is a, a lot of money, I know, but it was, you know, there was a, a quite a chunk of money had come in and it was tax advantages and all sorts of things to be considered. And a hundred thousand pounds went into the pot. We started working together. We started making grants. The person in concern started coming out confidentially without anyone knowing who they were with me to meet organizations they brought in a friend uh, because they were single and they didn't want to do have the experience on their own they wanted to share it and we worked together for four years nearly in that way and then on the first day of lockdown that person was the first person to put money into the coronavirus emergency fund, 7,000 pounds in on the morning. And the connection was so close and the the understanding was so close that it was just, it was no brainer really that that was gonna be the first person in a way. But very sadly, when we got to November, that person within a month went from being not very well to losing their life to cancer and the funeral Uh, for that person happened in February. Uh, It was a very emotional thing to be part of. But her friend, uh, people involved with her, us as a foundation, the relationship that we had built, there's now a fund there over that period of four years. It's about now 200 and something thousand pounds. And we're gonna continue with first-hand experience of that person's work, we're going to be able to continue honouring what they wanted to achieve. And, you know, that's a, 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 just a wonderful yeah. way to be able to continue living your positive contribution to the county after you're gone, isn't it? Amazing. What an incredible legacy
0: to leave behind. Yeah. And as you say, the, the clarity with their feelings, their preferences, their objectives, being able to
1: discuss all that with you. I have a voice in my ear. I know exactly, you know, very vocal at Grant's panels, knew exactly what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to see, you know, the things that excited them. It's there, you know, it's there, it's documented, we have it all. So if I wasn't there, someone else could pick it up. Yeah, It's amazing to have that.
0: And compare that with maybe just... As generous as it is, a few lines in a will where perhaps that clarity isn't there, so Uh, it's a a difference.
1: We we always, we always, even if it, even if it is, you know, a a line in a will, we will always try to to work around that and find what the person was like. What would they have wanted? It's so is so important. It's not lip service. It's not salesmanship. It's a genuine desire to to allow people's passion for Suffolk. And for people in need in Suffolk to continue beyond their own lifetime. Yeah. So,
0: so now we're in that 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 thought process of looking forward. Can we come back to something that we left behind a few moments ago, and and think about what could those needs be within Suffolk? What what are the concerns that you have within the foundation? What are the issues that you think we're going to need to be prepared well, to support? I mean, there,
1: there, there are ongoing issues um, that will have been exacerbated by the last 12 months. You know, we've got problems with our education uh, of, of young people, equality of access to services and to education and low levels of, of attainment. Of course, those issues are often very closely linked to economic deprivation. We still have you know, pockets of the county where their wages are significantly below the national average, I mean, significantly, Um, pockets of of communities where all aspects of deprivation are on full flow. So, you know, uh, everything around, you know, emergency food provision, uh, perhaps abuse within the family, domestic violence, those kinds of things, addiction of all kinds, and poor housing, poor living conditions, poor health, poor mental health, poor physical health, that exists in pockets across the county from a deprivation perspective but then domestic abuse and addiction and many of those things and people's mental health the last year will have affected those things for many other people that are not experiencing economic deprivation, they've been experiencing deprivation of access to normality um, that may have exacerbated existing challenges that they had or created whole new challenges. Um, so, I mean, every single need you can imagine really is present in our county to some degree. Uh, we have a, a, an aging population. So the work that, you know, mentioned Ann Osborne and the rural cafe caravan, the work with older people, supporting people to stay well for longer, to stay active uh, physically and mentally active uh, for a lot longer so they can live much healthier later lives there's a lot of organizations that are working to do that helping people with their physical and mental fitness uh, recovering from all the the illnesses that uh, everybody experiences around the country you know there's an awful lot of organizations that are supporting in fact more likely to be a local organization stepping up and supporting somebody who's experiencing abuse or uh, perhaps has had a cancer diagnosis, you know, it's local organisations that are there for those people. And uh, yeah, we, we have a great deal of need and, and an increasing level of need now. So having people, more people stepping up to help is, is absolutely crucial.
0: So that's the challenge that you know that there will be needs that perhaps are ones that we're not even aware of, which are going to come to the fore. There are some that we are aware. Of. So we've got the, the known knowns and the unknown unknowns and all of those sorts of things, aren't we? What I'm really reassured about in talking to you is we have people on the ground who give their time and voluntary organisations that give their that have a purpose to address lots of those needs, and even more incredibly. We've got lots of people within Suffolk or businesses who are saying, actually, we really want to try and address those, and we want to support the volunteers, and the charities, and the community organisations that, yes. that are the feet on the
1: ground. Yes. And 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 you know, I think it's also important for anybody coming at this from a private philanthropy perspective, you know, whether that they've made their money from a business and it's still more connected to the business, or it's you know, it's it, it's money that you know many of them have made their money from business but it's really important to know that as a funder they're not on their own the thing that the foundation is so brilliant at is also kind of the multiplication of money so we work with the public sector locally we work with the health sector locally we work with local businesses Uh, we work with national government national trusts and foundations the uh, the national emergencies trust Uh, we partnered with during the pandemic that brought over a million pounds into Suffolk that we were able to multiply with local giving as well so it's important that by putting your money in a central spot we can often use one pot to support another pot and it builds and it builds and it builds and then you have a, a much better chance of being able to make a real a real impact but we need people to come in and step up and be part of that team of givers yeah. and be prepared to, to look at those different options and see how they might be able to make their money achieve way more than they thought it could.
0: Yeah, yeah, really important. And as we said, there's benefits to the giver as well. Um, not just from a tax perspective, but you know, mental health, involvement, engagement, all of those things hugely beneficial.
1: The door is always open to have those initial conversations in complete confidentiality with absolutely no commitment required but just to perhaps understand where you might fit in even if you had the slight inkling that you might be able to do something have a chat we're so receptive to that. So Tim you you
0: mentioned uh, professional advisors who are we talking about there in terms of the
1: scope or the the people who we might be thinking of? In a way I hate the term professional advisor because I think (laughs) Nobody actually really sees themselves as a professional advisor. They see themselves as what they are, you know, a financial advisor, a lawyer, a will writer, a tax expert, all the people that are surrounding or that people will approach at a time when they need the best possible advice about what to do with their money. And you mentioned about, you know, codicils in wills. And, you know, we talked about, you know, we need to make sure that the Suffolk is in the brackets, et cetera. Well, we have such amazing and close partnerships with professionals who are involved in giving those who need it specialist advice at the right moment and it's important that the advice that they give is independent and and professional and isn't slanted they're not fundraisers for the foundation and we would encourage you know ongoing relationships with people that are in that position if they have in themselves Philanthropic DNA. Yes, um, they are able to to play their part in making sure that money goes to the right causes. But you know, if you're working with somebody and you know that they love Suffolk and they can't even perhaps break it down more than they really just want to leave a legacy for Suffolk, it's like, well, what do you do with that piece of information when it's told to you in a meeting? Mm. Well if we can build a trusted partnership with that professional advisor, that tax specialist, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. lawyer, that will writer that says, look, you can trust us to to come into a meeting with that client and give some advice, you know, give them the sort of conversation that we've had today to sort of start sowing the seeds of what might be possible. You know, you don't have to go from point one to the end point with no investigation of what's the right thing to do. We can help, To knit all of those thoughts together in a way that makes the professional advisor look good to to, to the person that they're giving advice. You know, look professional and look like they really understand, but not expose them to questions that perhaps they don't know the answers to. So they don't want to ask the question in the first place.
0: And I think that, yeah, and full disclosure is something that we've valued hugely that when a situation like that arises to be able to signpost people to a local organisation that yes. in itself can walk someone through the options that are available.
1: I mean, you wouldn't believe how quickly the conversation might go or could fundamentally go that wouldn't be beneficial to Suffolk from a, well, would you like to leave something in your will um, to charity Uh, yes Uh, what are you passionate about instant recognition of national brand or or maybe you know children and then it goes straight to a national brand because there's no thought between that awareness what we want to do is to say look there is a connection locally and there is a way for you be able to for you to be able to support local local charities if your heart says that the money you wanted to leave was to help people near where you were and just on one final point, is just to say we mentioned Stephen
0: Singleton earlier, your chief executive, and his MBE that he received yes, during I the know. pandemic. So we haven't all been able to see him and shake him warmly by the hand. But I think, you know, as, a, as an organization, you must be immensely proud of that.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, what a man. You've met him, uh, I know, many times. And, you know, he was the man who was presented with a box of papers. You know, in two thousand and five, and and said, you know, can you build a foundation, you know, can you build a foundation from this? And you know, today we're standing there with nearly eighteen million pounds in endowment funds, which are going to be there in perpetuity, delivering, you know, income every year to support voluntary sector in fair weather and foul. Um, but look at the team and look at the, the the relationships that have been built. And you know, I think for for everybody at the foundation, this last twelve months we have felt. we're always thinking about the voluntary sector and how they feel and what they need to achieve but I think we've all felt tremendously proud to be part of Stephen's team and to be really delivering a structure that I'm not sure what would have happened if we hadn't been doing what we were doing to connect that money with the causes that needed it at that moment not in six months time next week within 10 days or else type situations and it's been a very vital time and a very, in a way, em- empowering and rewarding time to be a member of the foundation team. And we just want pe- more people to know about that and, and come closer to us and help us, you know, help us to help other people.
0: Well, you do an amazing work. And um, so I think for anyone who's just taken a little bit of time to understand what you do, I do think you join up the dots remarkably well, you know, putting donors in touch with uh, voluntary organisations who deliver. Um, all within the county is just wonderful so yeah thank you for all that you and your team do
1: well thank you Colin and thank you for for doing these podcasts and giving other people like me the opportunity to tell their story telling the story and letting people know what happens is such an important thing and you did that Colin thank you Well, that was a real pleasure to be able to speak with Tim,
0: uh, trying to condense Tim's uh, message into the time that we had available is quite tricky because I could be listening to him for hours talking about uh, the needs that are being addressed by the voluntary sector within Suffolk but also how uh, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, business leaders, businesses and individuals and families are all stepping up and giving and uh, putting together Uh, funds which are administered by the community foundation to address those needs they would be only too pleased for you to get in touch if you wanted to and i'm sure that um, you will find them on their website which is suffolkcf.org.uk so www.suffolkcf.org.uk So for now, I want to say goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Suffolk Money podcast. Again, do get in touch uh, using our Facebook page or by emailing me, which is Colin at suffolkmoney.co.uk or uh, follow us on on Twitter and so on. And also give us some feedback too on your podcast uh, facility of choice uh, and uh, let us know how you're receiving this. Thanks ever so much for listening.